Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. The fourth episode of our series on Jeremiah covers chapters 21 through 25, an important change in the presentation of the book, but the message remains the same. promising musicians uh, when contemporary Christian music became a movement on its own was Keith Green who died an untimely death in a plane crash in an overloaded airplane in 1982 after his death he released two more albums and just in soon succession, and then a collection that included some unreleased songs before, and then uh, some more unreleased material got released around 1999 with something else, and then uh, just a couple of years ago they released still another song or two that he had recorded. That and so. What I'm saying is, just because somebody's gone doesn't mean that their body of work doesn't go any further. I mean, just the things that they had gotten is... Now, how did Keith Green continue to release all those songs for years after he died? He didn't do that, right? He recorded the music. In many cases, he recorded it just raw recordings, and, and producers came in and, and brought in other instrumentation and uh, to the but other people other people produced the album out of his body of work. It's still his body of work, but others were producing that and bringing that. To me, it seems like Jer- the book of Jeremiah kind of takes that tone from here on out. It, it's kind of like to me. Up through this point, we see the albums that Jeremiah released during his own lifetime. And kind of from here on, we see the albums that keep on being released from Jeremiah after he's gone. Or after he's, or at least after he's out of his active work. We do know from later on, in, from later chapters, that there is someone who has been working with Jeremiah ostensibly as a scribe, ostensibly as somebody who is essentially his secretary. His name is Baruch. Reading between the lines, it seems to me like Baruch is a whole lot more to Jeremiah than a secretary. Now, Baruch is never called a prophet. (coughs) But the relationship that Baruch had to Jeremiah seemed looks to me more like the relationship of Elisha to Elijah than simply of a man, a hired assistant to a say. He was more like a disciple of Jeremiah. And it may be that Baruch is the producer of what comes out. And whereas, you know, I've, I've depicted 
the previous chapters as being like the release of, an, of music albums with talking sections in it. What this looks like to me is more like a, a documentary film that's put together, but not just a documentary. It's, it's, it's a documentary film that's not just giving facts and information. There, it's more like one of those films that puts, that puts together a montage of the messages of Jeremiah and stitches them together in a very finely edited form. It's not in a chronological order. And if you're looking for a chronological story about this, you'll get yourself all confused. Because these are things, he names kings that are not even in the order in which they come. And it's sometimes not even, not even real definite as to which message fits which king that he's talking to. What the editor here, possibly, even probably Baruch, has done is put together and edit together, edited together a montage of Jeremiah's messages and cut and pasted and interspliced different things in order to produce. The focus is not upon a story being told. The focus is upon a message being preached. And I think within it we have the flavor of Jeremiah's preaching. You put this all together and you kind of you get the flavor of what it was like to listen to actually, actually listen to Jeremiah give a whole consecutive sermon, although one of, in, none of those sermons are actually just put together as such. This is kind of a montage that gives us a flavor of his whole ministry, that gets a grip over his whole ministry. Now remember, God had given him the ministry to uproot, to destroy, to tear down, to... What? Uh, something else negative. And then to build and to plant. Four negative things, two positive things. And so we see, but what we've seen before is really emphasized in this page. It's more like the positive is sandwiched. The positive message is sandwiched between the negative. What we've got, particularly in this passage that we're going to be looking at, chapters 21 through 25, we've got strong conviction and condemnation under the law. But sandwiched in between these powerful, powerful passages of conviction and warning about judgment, you have a word of grace. And that word of grace, it's small, it's short, it's very brief but it's more powerful than the judgment. And it reminds me of what Paul said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. This is the word... No, here's the problem I've got with, with this passage here, and this is why I'm saying we still may be in trouble. I was going through here, and I was trying to underline the unport passages to, to highlight all of them. Okay. So, you can see my page. There are no unimportant verses. That appears to be a fairly relatively new Bible. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> no, uh, no. <clears throat> no, but it would be kind of like me buying a used textbook in college. You know, have already had <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, that I needed to yeah, yeah, but the old problem comes back to me. It's the first commentary that I ever got, and I underlined every word. And so, so, 
the underline became useless, but, you know, that's, anyway. This is the word that came to the Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him. Now, Zedekiah, okay, let's keep them in order. Let's see who's, you had Josiah, good King Josiah. And then his stinker son, Shalom. And then his even bigger stinker son, Jehoiakim. And then Jehoiakim's stinker son, Jehoiachin, also called in this passage, son of Coniah, referred to in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew as Jeconiah. And then... And then finally, King Zedekiah. All of these kings are referenced here in the process of this passage. The kings are focused on, but the kings are not the... The kings are named specifically, but the kings are not the focus of this passage. But we're going we're to lead off with them. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah, who was the last of the kings... Of Judah. When King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Malchiah, and Zephaniah the priest, this is a different Pashur than the one that was named in chapter 20, by the way. This is a different, this is a different Pashur and a different, different guy. Uh, he's still, he's the son of Malchiah, who we know from other chapters later on that Malchiah is somebody who is a bitter enemy of Jeremiah. And Zephaniah the priest, who is someone that we know from later chapters, is more sympathetic toward Jeremiah. The son of Messiah, uh, saying, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Now, at what point in the story are we talking about? We are talking about a point late in the story. That We are talking about a point after Jeremiah has, for all of his life and all of his ministry, been... Uh, not only ignored, but actively rejected, persecuted, uh, hated, called and branded a traitor for prophesying the things that now have taken place. And he's been calling false prophets the ones who've been saying, no, no, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be great. The the Babylonians are going to leave us alone. The Egyptians will say everything will be just hunky-dory with us. All we have to do is just keep on what we're doing. And that is go ahead, live your life the way you want to live it. Go ahead and serve the Baals. Just make sure you give an offering of sacrifice to the Lord once every year or so. And then we'll be fine. Jeremiah's gone the other way and everybody's hated him for it. They persecuted Jeremiah all of his life. Now... Nebuchadnezzar is fulfilling the prophecies that Jeremiah has been giving for decades. He's fulfilling it right now. And King Zedekiah, who comes across as we, when we read through the, the passage, we read in Kings, Chronicles, and then read about his profile later on in Jeremiah, comes across as being a spiritual weakling. Somebody who thinks he wants to do the right thing, but he never just ever does get around to it because other people want him to do something else. 
So they come and they seek Jeremiah and they say, go to Jeremiah the prophet and see if he can put in a good, a word, a good word to the good Lord for us. That's how this whole passage leads off. That's how this whole segment leans off. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus so you say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is not good news. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and tell you. The Lord's got a word for you, and it ain't good. Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you are fighting the king of Babylon. Look at verse 5. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and fury and in great wrath. You understand the significance of all that phrase? That is the phrase. With outstretched hand, with strong arm. That is the kind of language that, it is, that is described of the Lord taking up arms for his people against the Egyptians. Against the Philistines. Against the Moabites and the Ammonites. Against the Canaanites. This is the kind of language that God always used in behalf of his people. And God's saying, I'm fighting against you this time. I am your enemy now. You have made me your enemy. And I'm fighting against you and I'm on the other side. And I'm not fighting against him with a strong arm and a mighty hand. I'm fighting against you with a strong arm and a mighty hand, you know what that means. You have no chance. Verse 6, And I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people in this city who survived the pestilence, sword, and famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword. He shall not pity them or spare them or have compassion. And to this people you shall say, and I've marked this passage even more than what I'm marking. So I, I had already underlined it, so I had to bracket this. Because this is rather significant. Look at the language here. Thus says the Lord. Behold I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Now where does that language come from? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. These are the words of Moses. Before the people crossed the Jordan. Bringing to them the word of the Lord that says. I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. In that instance, the way of life was to obey the Lord. And the way of death is do your own thing. Okay? Look at what Jeremiah says. Okay, let's bring this up to date. Here's the way of life and the way of death updated to our present situation. Here you go. Let's make it specific. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging this city shall live and shall have his life as a price of war. You're welcome. There's your offer. You want to live? <coughs> Give yourself up. Why? For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. 
it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall, let, he shall burn it with fire. This is the toughest aspect of tough love. And I want you to understand how, how deep we are here. Basically, he's saying, have you hit bottom yet? He's saying, no, you really don't want to hit bottom because bottom for you is hell. And this is where you are. Now, strictly speaking, in the context of where he, where he is, Jeremiah seems to be speaking treason. He's speaking discouragement to people who are in a, in a besieged city. Never before has Jerusalem actually fallen into the hands of it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar before has brought destruction up to the city gate. But the city has surrendered to, to Nebuchadnezzar before, uh, yielded to terms, come to terms with him, and then later on violated the terms, and that's why he's back. And this time... He's not offering terms. Now it's unconditional surrender. Or death. He is Santa Anna. They played the Degueo out there. No quarter. And Jeremiah says, here's the irony of it all. If you want to live, you give up to him, to the enemy. Your only chance right now is to become a prisoner of war. And turn yourself over to his mercy because once he starts in here, there will be no mercy. Keep on reading. To the house of the king of Judah say, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. Now this is a message to that. Again, we're cutting in. Remember, this is, none of this is a consecutive message. All of this is, these are things being spliced in and out. Remember, we're looking at a montage. From this word of judgment, we come the word of conviction. There's the explanation of where we've, where we've come to. Why have we come to this place? This is what the Lord says to the, house of the, to the king of Judah, the house of the king of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, says the Lord. This is a word not to any specific king. This is to the monarchy of Judah. This is to the leadership of the people of God. Execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Bringing it down to the ethical, moral failure of the people. The accountability for which goes right to the doorstep of the king. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitants of the valley, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord. Now that's an ironic statement there because Jerusalem is not in a valley. Jerusalem is at the top of a plateau that is surrounded by mountains. So all of this is ironic. All of this is satirical. So you think you're on a mountain. Now you're in a valley. You're down low. Who shall say, 
You who say, who shall come down against us? Who shall enter our habitations? I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. The wages of sin is death and its wages. Chapter 22. Go down the house of the king of Judah, speak, hear this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed and do no violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. If you will indeed obey this word, there shall enter into, there, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David riding in chariots on horses and they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord that this house shall become a desolation. Now, how hard is it to do that that God has required? Do justice and righteousness. In other words, just do right. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed. Go after the crook instead of adding to the victimization of the victim. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. In other words, these are the people who are most vulnerable in society. They have no safety net. They have no vital connections within the land. Don't hurt them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't shed innocent blood. How hard is that to avoid? Depends. If you're one, somebody who thinks power is in order to be expanded, these are very difficult commands to obey because if you want to expand power, you've got to use it. You've got to force it. You've got to make it happen. Doesn't matter who it hurts. As a matter of fact, if it's there, you've got to take it. So these commandments are hard to these commandments are hard to obey for whom? For someone who wants power and wealth and his own pleasure. And believes that he is a law unto himself. And many nations will pass by this city. Verse 8. Every man will say to his neighbor. Why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer. Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God. And worshipped other gods and served them. You wouldn't be an example of righteousness for me. So I'm going to turn you into an example of what I do. To those who are faithless toward me. And if they will not look at you and see and fear God. Because of the righteousness that's in you. Then they will look and see and they will fear God. Because of the judgment that has come upon you. Remember, you are a people who are called by my name. You're not like the other nations of the world. The other, you think the other nations of the world get away with it. We're going to find out before the end of this section. 
before the end of this montage, this film here. We're going to find out. Now, the other nations don't get away scot-free either. We're going to find that out. But you're special. You were made to be special. And you're still going to be. Even in your destruction. Because they're going to look at you and say, you don't want to mess with this God. Then he comes in, verse 10. Now, even the, even the translators have a hard time, and, the, and the, the editors of the Bible sometimes. I've got a section. The section comes, the message to the sons of Josiah comes after this. I believe that that section break should come before verse 10. I think verse 10 refers ahead, not back. Weep for him who's dead, and nor grieve for him. Who's dead? Josiah. Don't weep and grieve for Josiah. This is a lamentation for Josiah. And lamentation for Josiah says, we're not, don't cry for him. Don't grieve for him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more to see his native land. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went and who went away from this place. He's taken in captivity. He shall return here no more, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there he shall die, and he shall never see this land again. You want to weep for somebody? Weep for that guy. Josiah benefits. He didn't get to see all of what's coming up. Woe to him. Then he comes up and begins another. This starts a song. We see in this film montage Jeremiah singing one of his songs. And it's a, it's a judgment song. It's a, it's one. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing, doesn't give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, painting it with vermilion. You think you're a king because you compete in cedar? Didn't your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is this not to know me, declares the Lord? You know what it is to know God? It's to do justice. Micah said that. Back in the days around the time of Hezekiah, Micah said that. What is it to know God, to do justice? To walk humbly, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's what it is to know God. Jeremiah says, do justice, do mercy. That's what it is to know God. But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practice oppression and violence. Who is he saying that to? Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was a crook. Jehoiakim was a gangster who happened to be a descendant of King David. That's how Jehoiakim approached the rule of the kingdom of Judah basically like a gangster. And he believed it was all about him. It was all about his power. He made his alliances. At first he made an alliance with Babylon. Then he 
switch from that, made an alliance with Egypt, then he tried to switch from that. And he went back and forth. And was, but he was doing all the, he felt like he was competent to handle all of this. He felt like he was competent to figure these things out. And meanwhile, he was in it for himself. He was doing this, he, he was the law. He was the law. What he wanted was the law. And if he wanted a new palace, he'd just make, him build, he'd just make the people build. He didn't feel like he had to pay anybody. I'm following the footsteps of Solomon, who drafted labor from Israel. I'm just drafting labor for Israel. I don't have to pay the worker. I don't have to pay the guy, the guy who uh, provides me my supplies. They should be doing this for me. These are taxes that I levy upon you. I am the king. I can do this. I am the king. I have power of life and death over you. I can do what I want to. You have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or ah, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing about this is that this is not reflected in the historical writings that we have. The historical writings that we have in Kings and Chronicles, we don't see any particular violence to Jehoiakim's end. In Kings, we read that he died and was buried with his fathers. He, that, that he slept with his fathers. In Chronicles, we read that he was taken prisoner for a while and then apparently or he was a, it, it's kind of a vague statement in, in Chronicles he, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar sent to arrest him but it's, there's not really a follow up on that or follow through on that it's rather vague I think when we find out the eternal record keeper's record of all of this well my guess is that probably what we will find out for those who are still interested in studying history, I probably will be. I'll probably be there at the library of heaven wondering, okay, how did this work out? I don't know. Jehoiakim died and rested with his fathers. He didn't rest there for long because I don't think Nebuchadnezzar, when he's devastating Jerusalem and demolishing everything in sight, and burning the temple to the ground and breaking everything that needs to be broken. I don't think that he would be averse to going and dragging the corpse of Jehoiakim out and throwing it out like a donkey. Do you? you think he would have any qualms about that? In other words, I rather think that what Jeremiah says came to pass. We don't know the full story from the historical record of the chroniclers of the Bible. We just give a synopsis because that's not their point. But Jeremiah makes a point of it.
Go up to Lebanon and cry out, lift up your voice in Bashan, cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. What was he talking about? Their allies? Yeah, maybe. Their gods? Most assuredly. All your lovers, every, everybody that you ever depend on, that you ever depended on and thought, these will save me. They're gone. They couldn't defend themselves. How are they going to protect you? Verse 21. There's a verse I've fully highlighted. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. He said, I tried to come to you. You know, we, we could follow the career of that. God came to them in their prosperity and appealed to them. He blessed them. He let them prosper in what, in what they were doing. But the goodness of God that was intended to lead them to repentance, it, they just hardened their hearts further. And then God would send upon them disciplines and judgments and, and enemies against them. And they hardened their hearts even further. I spoke to you in your prosperity. You said, I wouldn't listen. Here's what's going to happen. The wind shall shepherd all your shepherds and your lovers shall go into captivity and then you will be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil. Verse 24, as I live, declares the Lord. Now, when God swears by himself, he's pretty serious. He means business. There isn't anything higher to swear by. As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you to the hand of those who seek your life. The signet ring, that's the most precious thing a man of any kind of property had. This was, this was, this was his identity. This was his public identity. The king would never take off his signet. He, he wore it round the clock. He never took it off. Never took off his signet ring. It was his identity. Though you were the signet ring on my right hand, I rip you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life. The hand of those you are afraid of, even the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you. Uh, let's see, what, what's her name? No. Anyway, she's mentioned. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they long to return, they shall not return. <coughs> Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken pot, a, a vessel no one cares for? Verse 29. Look at, look at the language that he Oh, look at, in this song. Look how he's singing. This is really even a unique phraseology in the Bible. Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this down, a man, write that down, this man is childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Now, this king had a number of sons, four or five sons, and several children. Jeremiah says, put him down as childless. Because none of his heirs are going to inherit anything. That's the sad part, first part of the sandwich. 
Now we get to the meat of the sandwich. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Okay, that's just the mustard. See, it still seems to be carrying on this, this message of judgment, and it is. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You've scattered my flock, have driven them away, and you've not attended to them. And behold, I will attend to you for all your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And then I will gather my flock. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall any be missing declares the Lord behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called. Zedekiah. The Lord is our righteousness. The king's name is Zedekiah. But his name is meaningless to him. But there's going to come a branch. A branch of David. A righteous branch. And his name really shall be Zedekiah. The Lord is our righteousness. Folks, Paul picks this right up. We're going to see this. The next book we're going to study, by the way, is going to be Romans. Oh, yeah. And we're going to see this. We're going to see this, the meaning of this reflected in Romans and how Paul looks and ingests what the, what the prophets had to say and what Jeremiah had to say, how the Lord has become our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought the people out out of, uh, of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. And then shall they dwell in their own land. So that first part of the sandwich, we deal with the wickedness of the kings and the impact of the, on the land. And the consequences of injustice and unrighteousness and meanness and now we see grace in the midst of it all God remains gracious and God gives a promise but I can understand why the people didn't recognize Jesus as this as this person it it sounds because Judah wasn't saved. But they were looking for it. And they were, they were looking for him to come. You're right. You're right. Because when he came, it wasn't as they anticipated. It wasn't what they wanted. Once again. Then he turns his attention to the false prophets. That's the second 
slice of bread for the sandwich. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of all his holy words. See what, what he's saying? He says, I'm broken, I'm staggered by this. Jeremiah, again, he's revealing what's going on. This is not an easy thing for him to say. You think, well, you, you just stand up. I mean, just, you're, you're an old, bitter, mean man. You're just full of all of the... No, no, that's just absolutely not Jeremiah. He's not bitter. He's not mean. But the... It's like, it's like I'm, I'm like a drunk man. I can't, I can't get my balance. I don't know why. Verse 10, for the land is full of adulterers, both spiritual and literal, by the way. Because of the curse of the land, because of the curse, the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Verse 12. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. Verse 13. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. But the prophets of Jerusalem I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, the, says, thus says the Lord, concern, Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. Oh, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone in the land. I will give them bitter food. Uh, Jeremiah had already spoken, said, uh, in another place, it said, Your word was sweet to me. Your word tasted good to me when I first received it. He says, I'm going to give these prophets bitter food. That's the image there. They're going out, they're, they're prophesying falsely, and everything that they have to say, these people who represent me, who say that they represent me, you are not turning people away from ungodliness, you are strengthening them in their ungodliness. That is the way of most religion. To strengthen and encourage people to do what they're going to do anyway. And if you do that well enough, you'll get paid pretty well. If you're a religionist. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. You remember, you know, all of these, this is, these are words that are from this part of the montage is being taken from that aspect of Jeremiah's message, that time of Jeremiah's message, when the false prophets are saying, no, everything's going to be peaceful and fine. Look, do you see any Babylonians out there? We're not going to have any problem with those guys. We're just, we've got them be. Look, look, everything's going to be peace and safety. Everybody just needs to calm down. You're going to be fine. Jeremiah says... You guys are missing the weather report big time. Behold the storm of the Lord. Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Verse 14. Or verse 18. Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. 
Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will, wrath has already gone forth. The storm is already there. It just hasn't arrived at this spot yet. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has executed and accomplished the intents of His heart. In, in the latter days, you will understand it clearly. What does that mean? Does that mean at the end of time? Say no. When this thing is... <laughs> there's going to come a time. All of this will come to pass. And when it comes to pass, finally you will believe me. And then it will be too late. I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. I didn't speak to them. They prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Now, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Now the high idea here is that, well, don't we want a God close at hand and not a God far away? You think that I'm so close to the action that I can't see what's going on? I've got a perspective that you don't understand that I have. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I can't see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Look at that doctrine of God. God is so... You think God is a local God, that God is about how you feel. See, that's, that's the way we are in this age. We think that God is about how we feel. We, we, want, a, we want a God who, who's so personal that he's, he's just inside of us and he, he, He's just all about how we feel. Well, God does know how we feel. But He knows so much more than that and He is so much more than that. He is the God who fills the entire universe and you do not get away from Him. And you don't hide anything from Him. I've heard what the prophets said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I've dreamed, I've dreamed. Verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore I am against the prophets, declare the Lord, who steal my words from one. They can't even, they can't even make up their own imaginary messages. They have to steal my words from one another. They have to make up things that I say and then steal them from, steal their messages from one another. They use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Won't get in, don't have time to get into it, but there's all kinds of Hebrew puns going on there. He, Jeremiah actually, for the only time ever, anywhere in the Bible, he turns the noun, oracle, into a verb. And this is fascinating what goes on here. Linguistically, he's, but he is really being sharp against I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams declares the Lord who tell them and leave. apparently this is the <clears throat> this is the thing they would come out they would trump Jeremiah Jeremiah says this is what the Lord says oh so no I had a dream now here's the fascinating thing about this whole passage in which Jeremiah scalds the false prophets in all of this he never questions their sincerity Uh, that, that's something that I said, what is, what's missing here about this? And it all of a sudden hit me. He never questions their sincerity. He never tells, he never says. They don't believe what they're saying. He never accuses them of hypocrisy. He accuses them of lying, but not of hypocrisy. What's the difference? He accuses them of deceiving, but he doesn't accuse them 
of being insincere. In other words, their motives. It's their behavior he deals with, not their motives. Some of these people, oh, who knows what their motives were? Jeremiah doesn't tell us. Their motives may have been, may have been for profit. Their motives may have been for self, for acceptance. Their motives may have been for a number of things. But one thing that Jeremiah knows for sure, they have not stood in the counsel of the Lord. They have no idea what God's doing. But they're going out there presenting themselves as being people who have the burden of the Lord. This is a, at the end of this passage. It says, you know, this, you know, everybody's talking about having the burden of the Lord. The, the burden of the, the word burden is... Uh, the, comes from the root word to lift up what you pick up, something that you pick up to, oh I've got the burden of the Lord I'm, I'm carrying, I've got, this is the burden of the Lord, says, I'm gonna and God says, tell you what next, next prophet I hear talking about the burden of the Lord I'm gonna smite him I'm sick of hearing about the burden of the Lord chapter 24 Brief chapter. A little montage. It gives us a vision of good figs and bad figs. Good figs. Delicious. Looks just mouth-watering. Bad figs. So rotten they make you gag just even look at them and smell them. The good figs. This is the remnant of my people who are in, captive, in captivity in Babylon. I love them. They think I've forsaken them. They think I've got them. What I've done is I've taken them away from harm. I'm going to protect them. I receive them. I look with grace upon them. These rotten figs, these are the people who are in Jerusalem and they think that they're the lucky ones because they haven't been taken into captivity. I rejected them because they are rotten. And then chapter 25, Jeremiah famously prophesied that the captivity in Babylon would last 70 years. And that's a very specific name. That is a very specific number that he gives. The, the captivity would last 70 years. Where does he say that? Chapter 25. You know when he gave this prophecy? The fourth year of King Jehoiakim the very first year of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had not come into the greatness. He had not yet become the Nebuchadnezzar that we all know and love, I, I fear, whatever, admire, loathe. He had not become the Nebuchadnezzar that became the famous Nebuchadnezzar. Seeing this coming, Jeremiah not only says Nebuchadnezzar is going to take over this place, Going to, he's going to bring these people into captivity and this captivity is going to last for 70 years. It is when reading this prophecy that Daniel began to pray and God gave him visions of the kingdoms and the empires of the world. Did it last 70 years? Yeah. He doesn't tell us specifically here. We'll find that out somewhere else. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. This is verse 11. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the nation of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord. Making it an everlasting waste, I will bring upon that land all the words that I've uttered against it. Everything written in this book 
which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. That's the same language he says, I will do this to my people and I will do it to them too. And what we see in the rest of this, of this passage, all of what uh, comes out, God says, the judgment that has fallen upon my people, the rest of you are not going to escape it either. The judgment is coming. You are under the condemnation of my law. You have been unjust. You have violated my righteousness. You have done that which is evil in my sight. You are all under the curse. See what this passage is emphasized? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son the branch, the righteous branch, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever believes not in Him is condemned already. Condemnation is what, in other words, Jeremiah is saying the condemnation is already there. You're all under the conviction of the law. You've all violated the world. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The way to enter it, whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, says Jesus. The same shall save it. Give up. Give up. Surrender. That's the only way. You've been listening to the fourth of ten episodes covering the book of Jeremiah. As you can see, we're not going verse by verse, but we're seeking to interpret the sweep of the book. From here, the book appears to be a posthumously published collection of Jeremiah's prophecies. We're only halfway through the book. I hope you keep tuning in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.